Good morning. Um, I love seeing the, the youth up here in the front, and uh, it's always a blessing to be able to see young people on fire for the Lord. And uh, these, these students being up here and, and celebrating what God is doing through the youth group is actually very inspiring for me because I was saved at the age of 17 as a senior in high school, and it was through people investing in students that I was able to be led to Christ. And uh, it, it's really cool how God actually used the word that I'm going to preach this morning to bring me to faith. Um, you see, not only was it youth ministry, but it was the actual living and powerful word of God that transformed my life as a 17-year-old student. Um, I, I didn't know anything uh, more than I needed Jesus. I was a sinner. He died on the cross. But I knew that at that age, I needed to find the red letters of my Bible because that's, you know, I was just a, a, a lost kid who knew the Bible. And I flipped my Bible open to Matthew, and I just read and read and read. And the gospel took root in my soul. The word of God transformed me the way some of these students have been transformed, the way they have spoken this morning. And so as I see them up here, my heart is just warm with, with fire and passion for reaching our students, for reaching the, the world with the word of God because it is truly powerful. And uh, that's what we're going to look at in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 this morning. So would you all pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, your word is so good. And I pray that we would abide in the word, that your word would abide in us, and that we would go forward with this word to the world around us. Lord, be with us this morning as we receive the word. Bring life, bring conviction, bring obedience. It's in Christ's name, amen. So as we look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the, the main thrust of what Paul is saying here is that the Bible is the word of God for the people of God on the mission of God. I want to say that again. The Bible is the word of God that is profitable for the people of God as we fulfill the commission of God. And my aim in this sermon is to stir up a longing and a delight in God's word, more of it for those of you who have it. And for those of you who have never had it, I want to stir up a longing and a desire for God's word. So when we look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, if you have your Bibles, you may notice we're, we're reading two sentences out of a longer section. And I think if we jump back to verse 14, we can put verses 16 and 17 into a little bit of context. Paul is, is writing to Timothy about fighting persecution, about fighting false teaching, about preparing himself for persecution. And listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, but as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Shane covered that last week, but, but students, I want to remind you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. A lot of you students have godly parents. You have families who have taught you the word of God from childhood. Don't forget that. In a day of deconstruction where everybody is calling you to doubt your faith, to doubt the authority of the word, to doubt everything you grew up believing, remember who you learned it from. And then verses 16 and 17 show us what this word is and what this word 
does. And so uh, we must heed the call of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 as we go out into this world that is opposed to us, opposed to our faith, opposed to our God, and opposed to his word. And so my first point this morning is that the scriptures are indeed the word of God. The scriptures are the word of God. As Americans, the Constitution is the supreme law of our land. When you violate the Constitution, you go to the highest court of the land, and they determine whether or not you are abiding by or following the Constitution. And when something is happening that goes against the Constitution, the authority of our government is in this document. The government will say, you cannot null and void this document. You will be fined or sentenced to prison or possibly sentenced to death for violating the law of this land. And what we see in 2 Timothy 3.16 is that the scripture is our supreme authority. The the, The scriptures are the supreme authority of God handed down to the world, not just to the church, but to all people. So we see here all scripture is breathed out by God. The scriptures are the word of God. And when we see all scripture, we are more of New Testament people. We we tend to think of the gospels and the letters and the book of Revelation. But when Paul wrote all scripture, he's mainly referring to the Old Testament text. Because the only Bible they had when Paul was writing would have been some scrolls of the Old Testament. They would have gone to the, to the temple or, or gone to the synagogue and heard the word of God taught from the Old Testament. So when Paul writes about all scripture being God-breathed, for you and I, that means the Old Testament too. Our Bibles don't start at Matthew. They start in Genesis. And so we have to have all scripture. And by the time we get to 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, we see that Paul's letters, Paul's writings are considered to be a part of scripture. Peter says they misinterpret Paul's letters as they do the other scriptures. So we do have the New Testament. But what I want to remind you is we can trust the entire canon of scripture, Old and New Testament, as the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God. And and in the Greek there for for breathed out by God, the phrase is literally God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. And why would Paul say God breathed? Because we needed to hear the mind of God. And when we speak, breath comes forth from us. When God spoke, when God uh, said, let there be things happen, when God breathed the breath of life into man, man came alive. And so what Paul is saying is God breathed out his word and he's sharing his mind with us. We can see God in creation, right? The, the creation shows us the glory of God. The invisible attributes of God are on full display in nature. But we needed something deeper, something more than that, in order to know God's will for salvation, in order to know who God is. That's why when people ask you the question, what about the person on a desert island? That person needs the gospel. They need the special revelation of God because creation can tell us there is a God, but only the word of God can tell us how to get to God. Or a matter of fact, how God gets to us. I love how the young man said Jesus encountered him. The scriptures show us how God comes to us. First God spoke and then we learned of who he was. So this is God's special revelation. It's God's mind. And when we, when we see this phrase, God breathe, it's God's mind coming through the authors who wrote the books 
in their unique circumstances, in their grammar, in their syntax, in their way of speaking and living, and then down to us in one big story. How in the world can you go from from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, have a cohesive, God-glorifying book without God being the one who breathed it out? God has given us one big story. And as God's word, I'm going to give you a little bit of theology here. As God's word, we can rest assured that the Bible contains no errors. We can be assured that the Bible is our complete authority. We can rest assured that the Bible is completely trustworthy, that the Bible contains all that is essential for eternal life and godliness, that it is necessary to know God and his will, that it is clear enough to save and guide us, even in places that may not be all clear. The, the big point is this. Nothing stands above the word of God for believers and for the world. So I want to ask you, what is your chief authority? What, what dictates and drives your life? Because any authority placed above scripture will ruin us. One of the greatest needs of our day is to love all of the scriptures. We need to love the whole Bible because whether you reject the whole Bible or a piece of the Bible, you have rejected God's authority. So we must have the whole Bible and we must pray for a love and a delight and a humility to want God's word and to submit to God's word. Students, you're in a culture that is arrogant, that is prideful, that despises God's word. Pray for delight and humility to stay in and to love God and his word. But not only is the word of God breathed out by God, the next thing we see is that the scriptures are profitable for the people of God. Notice that it says uh, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And then it says profitable for a few different things, for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training and righteousness. The word of God is profitable. Now, when you think of Center College students, you might think that Center College students are, you know, some of the brightest, that they, they get their books, they read their books, they study hard, and they show up and just ace the test. I'm here to let you know that Center College students are real humans. Um, I remember every year, every summer about August, I'd go up to the bookstore and spend $500 on books. Outrageous. And I'd get my books, and I'd set out, and I'd read my syllabi, and I'd say, I'm going to hit every one of these books. This year is the year I'm going to read it all. Day one, the professor drops 40 pages in history. Sociology professor drops 60. And then you get to history, and they drop 55. And it's like, man, when you add that up, that's a lot of pages. So, so I start trying to read. You know, day one, I'm killing it. I got a lot of caffeine. I'm with my friends. School's new. But then by week two and week three, my reading has decreased, and my mindset becomes, if they're going to cover it in the lecture, why read it? And, and then by the time you get to the end of the semester, you're like, oh, man, I should have read all that stuff because the lecture, that one-hour lecture couldn't have covered all this. And, and while that's comical, we do that with the Word of God sometimes. We show up on Sunday we let the professor give us a lecture on two verses, and then sometimes that's our word for the week. We, we get up on Monday morning, we read our five-minute devotional that's one verse and then someone's opinion, and then we think that's going to get us through until the next day. 
And I want us to see that the Bible is actually more profitable than that. The reason I didn't read my college books is because I didn't see that there was a benefit to it. I didn't think it was profitable. And the reason we don't read our Bibles is because we don't think they're profitable. We think it's old news. I've been there. I've done that. I've learned that. I heard those stories in Sunday school. I know this stuff already. I need to get on with life. But the word of God is profitable. And, and what we see here, big picture, the word of God is profitable for sanctification and for discipleship. When you think about these words, teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that's words for discipleship and sanctification. So the, if the word of God is profitable, that word profitable means benefit or advantage. It makes us complete. You see it says it makes the man of God in verse 17 complete or competent. It, it means he's qualified, he's, he's capable of doing what God has put on his life. And then it says the word equips us for every good work. Being equipped means fully furnished or, or fully supported and ready to do the work. And some commentators think man of God refers to the pastor, but others think it means everyone, people of God, that the people of God may be equipped. And for sure, we can apply this passage to us all. The word of God is profitable for our sanctification and for our discipleship. But how does the word do this? The, the word teaches us. The word gives us the doctrines and the, the formal and informal instruction we need. You can think of this teaching as this type of setting. You can think of the teaching of God's word as a Bible study or a small group like these students spoke of. That's formal teaching. But there's also teaching that happens in the home as you go. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, tell your kids about it everywhere you're going. You should be teaching and training people everywhere you go through your conversation, through your speech, through your worldview, through your ideas. But then we see not only formal and informal teaching, we see reproof. And, and what is reproof? Reproof is when the word of God shows you with evidence that you have sinned, that you have messed up. And we all do it. Uh, just this morning, uh, I'm getting angry with my children as we're getting ready for church. Like, you're messing up my plans. We've got to hurry up. I've got to get my sermon ready. We've got to get out the door. And I can start to see anger well up. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit reminds me, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You being angry at your children is not going to make them right. It's not good for your heart. So the word is able to reprove me even this morning as I'm preparing to teach you all about it. And then correction. The word doesn't just tell me that anger is wrong. The word tells me how to correct that. Do not exasperate. Do not cause your children to be angry. Put away all anger. So how do we do that? We, we put the anger off. We pray. We confess our sins to God, and we ask him to help us. But then we see training in righteousness. This, this training is preparing people for life application. So the word also gives us ways to actually live. So uh, we've got to all ask ourselves the question, where do we normally fit on this spectrum? Are, are we more teaching-oriented? Are we more reproof? Do I love to just reprove people with the word or beat myself up? Am I a corrector? I, I use the word mainly to correct. Or am I one of those people that just needs life hacks? I just go to the Bible when I need some tips for life. Because there's a lot of different ways to approach the Bible without some of these pieces. But what you see is we need all of these pieces in order to be well-trained disciples. The Bible is profitable for our discipleship efforts. And all true discipleship will be word-centered. So you got to taste it for yourself. 
And that's what I want to I show you here. Um, back when I was a college student, I worked at Kroger in Harrisburg. And uh, I was about five minutes away from my parents' house. And my mom would often ask me, you want me to bring you lunch? And I was like, yeah, definitely. I love leftovers. Well, one particular day at work during my lunch break, she brought me ribs that my dad had made with his homemade barbecue sauce, some baked beans, and some other sides. And literally, as I'm about to eat these ribs, I go to pick it up, and the bone slid out. I don't know if you know what that means, but the, the meat was so tender that the bone left the meat, and it was that good. It was incredible. And I can describe that to you, but all I can say to you is you've got to taste those for yourself, and your life will be changed. And so it is. <laughs> and, and so it is with the word of God because Psalm 19, verse 10, it says, The words of God are like gold, more precious than fine gold. The word of God is sweeter than honey. And you got to taste that for yourself. If, if we want to enjoy the word the way the psalmist says, The blessed man delights in the law of the Lord, we've got to taste it for ourselves. How do we do this? How do we get a taste of the word of God that will transform our lives? One way is to give yourself to a season of devoted Bible reading. Have you ever just sat down and said, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. I'm not going to have the, the Bible in the year plan, but I just want to read from Genesis to Revelation and just plow through the reading. Not, not for the mere sake of reading, but for getting through the word of God and seeing the big story. If you haven't done that, I urge you to do it. And um, there are plans that range from uh, 30 days to 90 days to six months. But just giving yourself a season where you just read the word of God, just, just really give yourself to reading the word. Uh, another way to taste this is to memorize a, a chapter of scripture. Uh, Romans 8, John 15, those kind of chapters, just memorizing them, spending two to three to six months really working through the word of God, hiding it in your heart will give you a taste of what I'm talking about here. Maybe it's uh, joining one of our Bible studies and studying through a book. I don't know about you all, but the ones that, that are in the Second Timothy study, I'm really enjoying Second Timothy. I have never enjoyed just being in the Word and showing up and hearing godly people talk about Scripture and really diving deep, applying it throughout the week, but it's, it's been game-changer for me. I love it. And the, the best part is we're covering beforehand what we're preaching on Sunday. So I show up on Sundays hungry, already have thought through it, already listened to people applying it, thinking about it for myself. And it just makes the sermon go that much deeper into my soul. And that's, that's through the study of God's word. And if we do even some of these things and even more, we will have a front row seat of this, this powerful profitability of God's word. If we want to see that God's word is profitable, this is how you do it. And so I, I want to just get a taste for the word. Give yourself some time this week, the next month or two, three months, to really find a way to taste the sweetness of the word. If the word has grown stale, if you're like the Israelites saying, God, I'm sick of this manna, why don't you slow down, confess your sin, say, God, I'm, I'm bored with your word, but I want to delight in it. I want to taste it. I want to enjoy it again, and then just seek after God and his word. But our, our last point this morning is that the scriptures are necessary to fulfill the great commission of God. So the word of God is profitable for the people of God for the commission or the mission of God. And you may be wondering, where, where is he getting this mission language from? The mission language comes from uh, the end of verse 17, equipped for every good work. The word of God equips us 
to pursue God. The two great commandments are love God and love your neighbor. So the word equips us to pursue God, but the word also equips us to do good to our neighbor, to love our neighbor. And how does this connect to the Great Commission? The Great Commission, Jesus doesn't say just go preach the gospel and watch for converts, right? He says go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. He says teaching them all that I've commanded you. So how do you do that? One, one way you do that, the word equips us to share the gospel with our mouth. The, the word gives us the story. The redemptive story from Adam to Revelation, the, the first Adam brought sin into the world. We are all sinners. And just like Israel, we journey through the wilderness, and God helps us. We, he gives us a Savior, Christ, who died for our sins, who rose from the dead, and who will come back to get all those who respond and believe. God gives us the big story message. That is the gospel that we share. And yet... God also equips us to show the gospel that we share. God equips us to show the gospel that we share. What if you could share the gospel and then you could say, follow me as I follow Christ? That's what Paul did. Look at, look at verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3. You, however, followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings. Paul didn't just tell the gospel. He said, come with me. Jesus didn't just tell his disciples the gospel and send them on their way. He said, follow me. Discipleship is not only about saying something. It's about showing something. It's about modeling and displaying the power of God. And that's what I think Paul's getting at when he says we're equipped for every good work. Every good work definitely includes our personal piety. This morning, I need to put anger out of my heart. I need to get rid of envy. I need to put away jealousy, lust, pride, all of those inward sins. But I also need to do that in light of loving my neighbor, in light of edifying the believers. We, we edify, we evangelize through our good works and through our speech. And so the word of God equips us and makes us complete, not just to say something, but to show something. And it's, it's our godly words and our godly lives that will be a fragrant aroma of Christ to the world around us. So my, my final kind of curtain call this morning is, and especially for you students uh, as you're listening, live a life in such a way that people will ask you, why? What is this about? Why, why do you have such hope? Why do you have such joy? How are you so patient? How do you put off anger? How do you deal with these things in the way that you do? And you can say, it's the gospel. It's the, the work of Jesus in my heart. It's the word of God living and active in me, changing me, molding me, transforming me, that makes me live the way that I live. Um, we, we see in 1 Peter 3.15, we should always be prepared to give everyone an answer for the hope that we have. But people have to see our hope. They have to see hopeful Christians. And that's what this equipping for every good work means. It means that you love God and you glorify God at the stoplight when someone cuts you off. 
It means you glorify God when stressors come at work, when that student's going crazy in your classroom, when your supervisor's putting heavy loads on you, when everyone's gossiping about someone at work or, or whatever it may be, when being a stay-at-home mom is just so exhausting that you want to blow your cool on your kids. Every single moment, the Word of God is equipping us to do those good and right works. The Word's equipping us to be diligent employees at our jobs. Go look at the book of Proverbs and see about diligence and hard work. Those are part of the every good work. And when people look in and see us and wonder why and how we could live this way, we can point them to the Christ of the scriptures. And so I want to ask every one of you in this room, students included, have you believed the gospel of God? Have you believed the word of God, the gospel that is preached in all of the profitable scriptures? Do you believe that Jesus is the serpent crusher that God promised to Eve? Do you believe that Jesus is the promised seed that would bless the nations from Abraham? Do you believe that Jesus is the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world? Do you believe that Jesus is the model and the blessed man of Psalm chapter 1? Do you believe that Jesus helped Joshua fight the battle in Jericho? Do you believe that Jesus is the suffering servant who carried our sin on his back so that we could be set free? Do you believe that Jesus is the one who rose and did not see corruption? Do you believe in the Jesus of of the Bible who is going to come back and get his bride and have the marriage supper. The Bible from beginning to end is the complete story of Jesus. Do you believe the gospel message of Jesus Christ this morning? All scripture is God-breathed. It all points us to Christ and it's profitable to save us, to change us, and to give us eternal life with God. Believe this word this morning. Believe this message. It can transform your life the way it has some of these youth, the way it has me, the way it has many people in this room. And if you believe it, let this get you excited to delight and taste the sweetness yet again. This is the word of God, and it points us to Christ. And as we finish up, I want us to go back to Psalm chapter 19. We, we covered this in Bible study, and it was just... It was so good for my soul. There's one way to look at scripture as life. Jesus said to the, to the Jews of his day, you, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but the scriptures testify about me. That's what I just shared with you. But you can read the Bible correctly. You can delight in and love and cherish the word correctly. And we're going to finish with Psalm 19, starting at verse 7. The law or the instruction of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. 
Do you want that sort of great reward? Do you want your soul revived? Do you want to be made wise? Do you want to have a rejoicing heart? Do you want enlightened eyes? Do you want to endure forever? Do you want to be righteous? Be in this word. Not just for your brain. Not just for your head, but for your heart. And as this word dives deep into our hearts, it'll show up in our hands. That's what Shane preached or prayed this morning. And that's what I want to remind you of this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. My words, not profitable. My writings, other people's books, conferences, not profitable. Your word, all scripture breathed out by you is profitable. And to the extent that we proclaim, that we write about, that we share the true word, we will see things be profitable. But God, I pray that we wouldn't be a church that gets a watered-down version of your word or a supplemented version of your word. God, I pray that we would be a church that gets the unadulterated, finer than gold, more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, powerful word that that cuts deep into our hearts, that brings teaching, that brings conviction, that brings reproof, that trains us in righteousness so we can be equipped to go forward on your mission. Holy Spirit, make this word work in us. Open our eyes and our hearts to see it. Holy Spirit, transform us. Make us like Christ. Help us to behold Jesus. God, make us people of the book, not so we can be smarter or win the Facebook wars or the battles about theology or the culture wars, but God, so that we can love you and love our neighbor. Thank you for your word. It's in Christ's name.